What's up, y'all? It's Zach. We live in corporate. Look, I'm so appreciative of the content that we create day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year for the past five plus years. Yo, it's been a journey. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been rocking with us. If you didn't know, I'm going to tell you right now, we exist to center and amplify black and brown folks at work. And we do that by having really frank, authentic conversations. Think about like the conversations you have with a friend or a colleague or a mentor or aspiring mentor or mentee over drinks or coffee or whatever. It's when you're really having those real conversations about career and life and navigating the workplace. I was not privileged to have a ton of those conversations, but but the five that I did <laughs> really blessed me. Now I'm playing. I had more than five. I mean, come on. I've been working for a while, so I've had more than five. It feels like I've had like I feel like I can count the really authentic conversations though on one hand. And I just remember years ago thinking about what does it look like to bottle that up and make it accessible to thousands of people because everyone doesn't isn't privileged to have someone that looks like you pull you aside over coffee or just on the side and give you the real talk and that's what living corporate is all about yes you're listening to the flagship show but living corporate is a network of shows and everything that we do is based around authentically centering and amplifying historically marginalized voices at work by investigating interrogating the systems and imagining a better more equitable place to work. Yes, we fall into the diversity, equity, inclusion space, but we don't really use that language like that because a lot of that has been co-opted, watered down and centered around people that don't really need it. We're trying to have authentic conversations every single day that center and amplify the people that actually need to be centered and amplified which are black and brown people, black and brown women, black and brown queer folks, black and brown trans folks, black and brown non-binary folks, black and brown disabled folks, black and brown first generation people, right? Black and brown folks, period, right? That's what we're trying to do. And so thank you so much. I'm excited about the conversation you're about to listen to. We'll be right back. Toby Ekbuna of Plenty Things. You know what I'm saying? We'll get into it. Welcome to the show, baby. How you doing? I'm all right, man. How are you? You know what, man? I'm doing well. Listen, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. I'm excited to talk to you about your journey as a founder, the work you're doing in the ERG space. Uh, shoot, man. The challenges of being a black male founder, a young black male founder at that. Um, let's just get to it, man. Why this journey? Why, why mm. the entrepreneurship founders journey? Yeah, um, I have all. I really was always that kid that wanted to start a business. Like I, I was, I was that kid that was selling sodas out of his locker in um, in middle school, and I took business classes very early on. I knew I wanted to go to college and major in business. I always knew that, and I always knew I wanted to start my own thing because I interned once at a bank as a teller, which is like the, the, the most boring, truly, truly the most boring job you can get. Paid very well, especially for high school. If like I was getting something like $20 an hour in high school. That's crazy. a lot but back then. A yeah, lot, that's a lot, a lot. That's true. That's a decent amount now, but no, uh, you know, I was working, I feel like I was working nine to five every day and I was like, nah, man, I gotta, I gotta be able to set my own hours. I, gotta, I need to, I need to be able to work for myself and I need to enjoy the work. Um, 
So when I graduated from school, I went to go work at Accenture in Boston and consulting. And my idea was, you know, I still didn't really know what kind of business I wanted to start. And I was thinking that consulting would, you know, expose me to a bunch of different industries. And from that exposure, I would be able to pick the thing that I wanted to go work on and do it full time. And, you know, that that was kind of true. But most of the consulting work I did was in the energy space, which I wasn't super interested in. But um, I did a lot of kind of side project work as a diversity recruiter for Accenture, going back to my alma mater at UNC. And that's how I got into DEI. And then at that point, I was like, okay, I think the business I want to start is probably in this space. Um, So we first launched Chessy, which was originally Diversify as like a job review platform, kind of like a glass door, but for people from underrepresented communities. And then we pivoted into what we're doing now, focusing on helping companies enable and, you know, activate their employee resource groups. We pivoted into this space in October 21. So, but I mean, short answer is, I always wanted to be a founder. And the thing for me was just figuring out the perfect intersection of like entrepreneurship and something I was passionate about. Right. And that's, that's what we found. You know, it's interesting. You talk about like selling drinks, um, like selling at your locker. You know, when I was in uh, elementary school, my first business, my first hustle. Now this might date me a little bit because I think I'm, I think I'm like a few years old. Just, I think I'm just like, cause we're both in, did you just turn 30? I'm about to turn 30. Don't put that on me yet. I got I got 45 more days. Respect, respect. Okay, yeah. it's, it's different. Your knees feel mad different. <laughs> um, <laughs> I turned 34 this year, and like my knees feel so different than when I was 29, I promise. Mm-hmm. But anyway, this is going to date me a little bit. But when I was in elementary school, um, I was selling Dragon Ball Z pictures. So I would go online. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I only had dial-up back then. So, and we had just got dial up. We were late, right? Like, you know, shout out to my mom doing everything she could, had a phenomenal childhood, Um, but we were late on internet. We had dial up. So I didn't have enough internet to download the Dragon Ball Z picture, Super Saiyan 3, Goku and Trunks and all these other people. I couldn't do it because the internet was too slow. And plus it was too much color. It was going to jack up my printer. So what I did was I built a team and they had faster internet than me. So we would, I would mobilize parts of that, of my team to print out the pictures. And then we would at recess, sell the Dragon Ball Z pictures, five, 10, $20. You know what I'm saying? That, that was yeah. my hustle. You know what I'm saying? I actually really appreciate you saying that, like in a very hushed tone, <laughs> <laughs> as if the feds are still looking for you to this day. Real talk. Still trying to find out. If it was Nintendo, they, boy, they, they own living That's corporate true. by now. That's you know, say, so you know, people say different about their copyrights, but. I respect I respect the idea of knowing that, you know, the nine to five thing wasn't for you. It's also interesting because you and I worked at Accenture at the same time. Um, it's just that you were in New York and I was in Houston. Um, so 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 kind of getting to this this piece on on Chessy, right? Like you say, you, you started as really like a glass door for yeah. for marginalized perspectives and stories in terms of their own reviews and experiences. Talk to me about what, like, why the pivot? Mm. We, so we worked on, on on the Glassdoor idea for about a year and a half. And, you know, for, you know, super early stage startup standards, we had a decent amount of success. You know, we had somewhere around like 1,500 signups. We'd gathered about 1,500 reviews. We yeah. actually had like $1,000 in MRR, like people were actually paying us. But 
we were still working. We were working on it part time. Like I was working at Accenture the entire time. My sister, my co-founder, yeah. was working at IBM the entire time, and we were like yeah. both pretty eager to jump into it full time. We were like a thousand dollars ain't gonna cut it if we're gonna jump mm-hmm. into this full time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it kind of just came to our heads, and we were just thinking like, maybe this isn't what this business is supposed to be. You know? Um, so we took a step back. We started to think about what else we could do, what we felt more confident in, what we felt was a bigger opportunity, and we thought about software. And at first, we were just like. They're, they're, you know, we need kind of just like a Salesforce or a HubSpot, right? That the way that those tools automate everything for sales and marketing, we need that, but for DEI. And that's what we tried to build at first, showed it to some people. Everybody was like, yeah, this is trash, not interested. But um, a friend of mine who was working at Peloton at the time, I showed it to her. She was not interested. And then she followed up. She was like, hey, I know you're working on the software. Do you have anything like this, but like specifically for ERGs? And I said, no, but, you know, tell me what you think. And she was like, well, we had 35K. My, my boss gave me 35K to go out and find something. And I was like, 35K? That's per, per year? You know what I'm like? I was like, what? That's so, not like a that's not like a million dollars. Literally, a million dollars. <laughs> Coming from a thousand a month, 35K for one person in one year was like uh, right. absurd. Yeah, that's, right. Especially, and that's like, you got that lick once and you ain't even got right. a like. You don't have to hustle. Exactly. You yeah, get you just get it. One time and you have it good for the next 12 months. So um, we we mocked something up. I showed it to her. She was like, yeah, this was like a real like working product. This would be it. And I, I'm not like, we should have honestly done some more due diligence because we were just like, no, nah, that's it. Let's go. We're going all in. We're doing ERGs. We built the product. We unfortunately did not sign Peloton, but we signed our first company, Chegg. I think we launched the product maybe like October 1st and Chegg came knocking. They came to us mid-October, and we built a rapport with them. They took a chance on us because at that point, you know, the product was brand new, plenty of bugs, plenty of stuff not working. They were just like, let's do it. And, um, yeah, that's that's kind of how we got into this space, man. It was just like, it was was that the initial idea just was not, it was working, but it wasn't working to the point that we felt confident going full-time, right? And we were were smart enough to not quit our full-time jobs before we did it. So we had that to fall on. You know what? So a couple things there. First off, it's interesting, though, right? Like, because I talk to a lot of founders, especially like black and brown founders, like our barrier for entry is so much higher. Right. So like I've and I know you've seen it. You talk about it on LinkedIn in various ways often. Uh, and I like and I, up, I repost all of the things I see. But it's like we've seen like I've seen and I think you have as well. But if you don't want to put the if you don't want to put your name on, that's fine like plenty of non black and brown founders who will like have a proof of concept for something that isn't even really like all the way fleshed out. It's like an idea and like, they'll still get like mad funding runway promotion, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, whereas like I've seen black and brown founders have something, it might not be like, like completely finalized, Sure. But it's like a tangible thing and it's still yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. no, that's not enough. Right. Right. Um, so that's the first thing I find is interesting is like what I'm what I'm learning in this like entrepreneurial space is our our barriers are are different. Um, and I want to mm. I want to talk a little bit about that soon. The second thing I want to say is shout out to Yvonne uh, Hutchison um, and the fact that you had the good sense to like like not hurry up and wait like you you trusted the feedback you got and then like pivoted quickly as mm-hmm. opposed to like kind of getting stuck in paralysis analysis like let's okay well let's let me let me see what these yeah. 20 these 20 surveys tell me over the next 8 yeah. to 12 right, months right 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 you look up the whole market's different you might like mm-hmm. the, 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 the whole thing is passed so so 
so talk to me a little bit more, right, about like, you know, you went from this like DEI company review platform to like ERG enablement mobilization space. Like what, what, why ERGs? Like why that specific domain and why the broader, why the broader area of DEI in a landscape where this work is being constantly under attack and like Mm -hmm. actively um, undermined and uh, divested from? Yeah. Um, well, so, so when I was at Accenture and you probably were too, like I, I was part of the black ERG. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't even remember how I formally joined, but I'm pretty sure when I got to the box the Boston office, I walked in and one of the other black people in the office was like, yo, what's your name? I was like, I'm Toby. They're like, are you part of the ERG? I said, what's that? And he just, he added me to it. And then I was in it. Right. Like, yeah. and then, you know, instantly I have, four or five, six people that I'm immediately connected to. I can hit up with questions. I can reach out to for like help get a new project, whatever. Like, like that sense of community was instantly there. My sister felt the same thing at, at IBM when she was there. And I was just thinking like, you know, when these things are done right, first off they're, they are an immediate community builder for people that come into a workplace a little hesitant, right? A little alone, a lot alone, right? Cause they don't know anybody there. Um, that was one thing, but then two, you know, and this feeds into your, the second half of your question. I think I really wanted to give DEI the legitimacy that it's never had. Hmm. Right. And that's why at first I wanted to build like a, a, a Salesforce or a HubSpot, for, but, but for DEI, cause I felt like the issue was always data. Um, because, you know, even if the numbers aren't necessarily where you want them to be, as long as you can say like, look, our representation numbers have gone up year to year. Um, our engagement numbers have gone up year to year or whatever. Like you, you, you were still making that proof point to the people that are maybe hesitant at first. Um, so I, I, I felt like an ERG platform that gave you that data was extremely valuable. Right. And that, that was kind of our um, initial sense. That's what we built on at first. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I think those are the, the two big things I, I was, and then I think actually we didn't even realize this when we, until we started really building and when we started fundraising specifically, because when you fundraise and I think we're going to talk a little bit more about raising, but like, when you, when you fundraise, you have to pitch on, this isn't my, these aren't my words, but you have to pitch on vision, right? Yeah. You have to pitch on vision from the beginning, especially I think if you're extremely early stage, like we were. And I was pitching on like the vision of ERGs, building that community for people and retention. And like, it just was not hitting at all. Not with these mm-hmm. VCs at all. And then I started to think, okay, there's something bigger than retention here. Cause I, honestly, I was pitching re- retention and I was like, I don't even really believe this myself. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I didn't. Yes. Like, I was like, I feel like there's something bigger than retention behind these groups, and you know, I, I at the same time I thought about conversations I had with people, and I remember I spoke to um, this guy. His name is Osafo Barker. I don't know if he's still there, but he used to be at Pixar, and I was actually pitching him on Chessy when we first started it, and he was telling me about how Pixar's Black ERG worked with the production team behind the movie Soul, like before it got released to like review it. I might have shared this with you earlier. To like mm-hmm. review it, make sure that you know the dialogue was right, the haircuts were accurate. You know what I'm saying? Like make sure that it was accurate before it was, it was put out for a bunch of black people to go see. And you saw that movie won two Academy Awards. It was like it's a great movie. You know what I mean? Fine. And I was thinking yeah. like, why don't more companies do stuff like that? You know? Yeah. Um, and then that's what that's when it really hit me. Like I have a slide in our pitch deck now that just has Pixar's logo, and I tell that story to every investor because I think that sort of like business level impact is what companies are missing out on when it comes to their employee resource groups. Right. And so few of them are actually even there, even Pixar. I don't know about this, but I, I doubt that they do that. 
that sort of thing like super routinely, especially for different teams. Maybe they only do it for like new production of new movies. But right. every company has departments that could use the advice and feedback and input of their employee resource group members, right? And so few companies are doing that from an operational standpoint. And I think when we're talking about giving ERGs visibility and legitimacy, it's extremely hard as a CEO to deny that the black people at Pixar worked with the production team of this movie and it won two Academy Awards. That's that, that is that CEO's job is to make movies that win awards. And it did that. And they won two, right? So I think if we're able to help companies actually establish those relationships between their ERGs and those business units, that's like the big goal here. And I think that was something that didn't dawn on me until we started fundraising. But like I'll say, like, you know, as we transition maybe into the fundraising part of this conversation, once I started pitching that, you you know, you literally see people like sit up, pay hmm. attention. Yeah, you, you know, see them. Lately. You see them go. You see them from like doing this, where they're obviously looking at other windows right. while you're presenting your screen to actually like looking at yours. Yeah, a hundred percent, exactly. Um, and yeah, no, to your point about like just. All right, so you know what, Toby? I don't know. Maybe maybe you're gonna agree with me or not. I really need you to help me. the The whole like cycle of trying to raise mm. and like engage in the VC space as like particularly as a black founder feels like a waste of time to me, mm. right? Yeah. Um, like like you look at this article. I think I want to say you referenced it because I I know I saw you post it, and then I went. I said my own thing, but um, from TechCrunch, this was back in shoot. Uh, this October, headline is Black Founders Received 0.13% of All Capital uh, in Q3 of 2023. Um, about thirty, about $39.7 million out of $29.9 billion. And like, there's this process I've seen because Living Corp has been approached to, hey, why don't you, why don't you do a funding round? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And it, it seems like it's such a time suck to put a presentation together try to network, curry favor, get people's time. Yeah. To maybe get to maybe get a second meeting or a third meeting if you get if you get a first meeting at all. Um all for them to own a part of your company for you to get capital that while it may float you won't like change your life. So yeah. it's like it's like like I get, I get, I, I'm curious to hear your perspective. I'm of the mind that really like, and I, I can also say I'm speaking from privilege, right? Like I've been making, I've up until I made the jump to live in corporate, like full time, I was making, you know, what, like a very healthy six figure salary yeah. um, for years. And then also living corporate had been profitable for years before I decided mm-hmm. to jump into it full time. So like I recognize that my story, my journey might be a little different, but I'm like, yo, this feels like a hustle. Like, why are we doing all this work to, to get a, a piece of a piece of a crumb sure. when we could spend more time in front of our potential clients, refining our product, understanding our value proposition and, yeah. and growing the business. Like, what are your thoughts there? I don't disagree with you. Um, it is, it's not that like we raised our, our pre-seed round in January and I've always been, I've always hated the idea of being on like the VC flywheel and raising just to raise, especially knowing how hard it is to raise as a black founder specifically. Right. Um, but the truth of the matter is we just needed money. We just did. Like we, we had to be able to pay ourselves. We wanted to build 
this new version of our product, which means that which meant that we needed to hire a team, which we like we had won some grant money that allowed us to go out and go ahead and do that hire. But to keep those people, we needed some more money, right? That grant money dried up. And once we established that, I was like, okay, what are, realistically, what are our options here? I'm not about to take out a loan, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a software business. I'm not, if I get a loan, it's going to be on terrible, terrible turns. Um, I think if I was a white founder with better connections, I would just go out and, you know, tap on a couple of friends and buddies and buddies, parents or whatever, and like get in that like 500 K or whatever that we were trying to raise, but I didn't have that as an option. So the, realistically, the only option for me was I have to go after venture capital because that's like, that's the only way that I can think of even as hard as that's going to be. That's the only available path to that seven fit. We raised about uh, 800,000, that $800,000 that we needed. That just was, you know? Like if I was only if I was only going after like a hundred grand, then maybe I could have tapped into my network. I just I literally didn't have that as an option, you know. Yeah. And I think there's that's that is the problem is that mm. as difficult as it is to get venture capital money, we can't get loans, and we don't have the network to just get like a friend like to raise a friends and family. Family, friends, yeah, friends. You know and family, what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. like we actually did. I was I was shocked. We actually had about a hundred sixty grand. About a hundred grand, a fifty grand came from a friend's like organization that he just kind of helped me out with. But anyway, um, about a hundred grand that came from friends and family, and even that amount, I was like, "Yo, for real? That's a lot." I got friends and family, but that's a lot for a black. That's a family. lot. That's a that's lot. That's a lot, bro. That's a lot. That's what I'm saying. And even that, and a hundred grand, I was like, "That's gonna last us two months." <laughs> you know, like we just <laughs> we just need more money than that, and that's that's the yeah. problem right there. Is that the as bad as raising venture capital money is and as hard as it is for black founders and all the barriers you have to jump through it's the only path it's not even that it's the best path it's the only path and i think you know i trust me i looked into everything i I mean i guess you know we raised about half of our money from venture capitalists and the rest came from that friends and family and an accelerator and a pitch competition right so like there's a bunch of different sources and like you can maybe look into pitch competitions grants as a way to fund your business but that's not dependable right you don't have that much control over that stuff you know what i mean so mm-hmm. fundraising really was the only option and that's the problem I, I i want there to be funding opportunities that kind of operate as venture capital where you sell a bit of your business but it's not on the issue with vcs is that they don't a lot of times i don't think they understand that black businesses actually have the ability to get to that venture capital outcome and for that reason they wouldn't invest um and if you're and for a lot of black founders, I think we'd be better off. This is probably a different conversation, but a lot of black founders would be better off not chasing that VC level outcome, chasing a nice, see, profitable see, SaaS see, company. See, right. and that's me, right? right? I'm yeah. I'm of the mind. It's like, it's like, eh, first of all, I'm not giving up 20, 30% of my business, mm-hmm. like off, off the muscle. I just, I, I cannot do that. Like I'm not mm-hmm. predisposed to do that. Uh, but on top of that, who says I ever want to sell my business, period? But who's to say I ever want to sell my business? And who's to say I'm trying to grow the business to be a billion dollar company, whatever the case is? Mm-hmm. Like maybe I just want to create a business where I'm able to I'm able to profit a few mil. I mean, if I'm able to put a few mil in my pocket every year, and then grow the business at a at a sustainable uh, scalable uh, growth rate, and just kind of keep it have it be like a healthy small business that creates outsized impact. That yeah. might be what I want. Maybe mm-hmm. I don't want. I don't have like. Lamborghini dreams. I'm not, I'm not trying to be at uh, Martha's Vineyard every summer uh, right. or at, at the Rockefeller brunch. I might just want literally to make enough money where I don't really have to work no more. Like, and if I live, 
and and I, that's relative to everybody, right? Sure. But I live below my means. Be I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm trying to be at the brunch. I'll See, that's that. problem. <laughs> See, that's I'll keep it. Maybe that's... it is. Maybe it is. I just want to go one time. You know what I mean? Just once. I, I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind. Here. I wouldn't mind going. I wouldn't mind going once. But see, if I go when I go that time though, Toby, I gotta have something crazy. You know, I gotta have like I, I gotta have like some 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 rare silks you ain't never seen before. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. That's true. You get yourself. I gotta look. I gotta look crazy. I might have to rock some traditional. Yeah. No cap. I might have to. I might look. I might. That's have to a guaranteed look. way to stand out without probably spending too much money. If you rock, listen, dog. If you rock that traditional at the Rock Nation brunch, it's hard. That's hard. It's hard. It's hard. You got to think. That's about hard. That's a good idea. I got some man. I had my um, one of my man's uh, uh, shout out to Io. I went to his. Um, I was one of the uh, groomsmen in his wedding, and and I got fitted for that traditional. I said, oh, I, I said, oh, y'all wild, and I would I would wear this every day. This is, <laughs> this feels phenomenal against my body. I don't know why we don't. We should all dress like this all the time. But anyway, uh, man, we we, we, we I, I agree with you though, right? That like, I think I think sometimes, sometimes it feels as if like founders like we go from one one paper chase to another we go from like chasing one thing to and it's like for me the way you started off is really was is really me right i wasn't really looking to i wasn't looking to be a billionaire and i wasn't looking to i don't know whatever i just i just wanted to a space where i could create where i could do the work that mattered to me and do it on more of my terms than not yeah. that's why i became a founder yeah. right and I think like I agree, but I think that sometimes if you try to be like, well, no, nah, I'm trying to be whoever, right? Mm-hmm. Then you lose the plot and your business. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I, I just I struggle, man. So so to your point though of like you know like the options, the lack of optionality there, right? Yeah. Like there's man, like it doesn't have to be VC. Yeah, but it seems like VC is really the only thing. Like, mm-hmm. if you were to imagine something different, like what would it be? So there's a fund. Um, it's called Indie VC. Have you heard of them? Mm-mm. Yeah, I N D I E dot VC. They they like were running for a while, operating, and then they actually shut down and they opened back up. But um, their whole thesis is like we invest in sustainable SaaS companies right? Sustainable, soon to be profitable SaaS companies. And the idea is like you invest in them once, they take one round of funding, right? They sell 20, 25% of their company. They never raise again. They get to profitability where they're kicking off dividends. And at that point, you start to get a return on your investment or they get acquired. But because you never got diluted, they never raise again. You know, you bought it at maybe a $5 million cap. They sold for 50 million. You still 10x your money, right? And that's Mm -hmm. the like, again, that's like, it's probably even harder to find those businesses than it is to find like the big unicorn billion dollar IPO ones. But that sounds fire though. That sounds way better. Because that, because here's the thing, right? Like, well, I like living corporate. I believe it's a one of one. I think Chessy is a one of one, Mm -hmm. but, but like the spirit of it is not right. The idea of, look, we want to build a business. We, we don't necessarily want it to be a thousand employee X billion dollar revenue generating a year business necessarily. Yep. We just want it to be X like we, and we want it to be sustainable. 
for us or we wanted to like we like it's not there's this uh this boomer bust mentality right that's like um that i think it breeds more failure than not Absolutely. whereas it's like like what does it look Absolutely. like you know yeah. what i'm saying like it's yeah. just it's like no. you know, like yeah go ahead it's 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 um like when we started chessy right we always realized if these these things that i'm talking about right like turning ergs into like true business assets and, and partners and things like that like if that hits we're we're a rocket ship you know what i mean mm-hmm. like we mm-hmm. it, it could be revolutionary mm-hmm. if it doesn't hit though right and all we're able to do is build a really really great erg enablement platform we're still probably a double digit millions SaaS company right right so like but my idea is like i'm cool with either <laughs> obviously i want the former right but i'm very fine with the latter but right. the one thing that's not an option is that we burn out. Yeah. That we totally flame out because we raised too much money too fast. We tried a bunch of things. We, we invested in a bunch of growth channels, all these other things, right? That is one thing that's not an option. Yeah. And I think the, you know, the more you buy into the idea of I got to get to a billion dollar income and I got to do it in seven to 10 years, the more likely you are to, to flame out, right? And we yeah. need, for black founders especially, man, like if, if you are lucky, like if you are lucky enough, raise even like 10 20 000 from your friends and family because they bet on you you can't do that <laughs> you can't do that right like for 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 brad or whoever else that got that money from his uncle his uncle maybe doesn't need that money back my friends and family want that money back they they expect that money back which they is why that money back that's a, see that's a whole separate conversation and if i don't know if, how much you even want to get into it but like i'm aware of like different like like you know we're talking about black founders but like the black diaspora is diverse Right. Mm-hmm. The pressures that a Nigerian founder has are not going to be the same as the pressures right. that a black American founder has yeah. or the yeah. pressure that a black Islander has. Like, you know what I'm saying? I will say that the through line is that the, all of our family going to want their money back. But uh, <laughs> but That's true. but like but, but like but like, you know, like different families, man, different family dynamics, man, like you might be you might already be supporting an aunt or an uncle over like in in nigeria right now i might right you know what i'm saying like so it's like okay there's like it's 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 more um nuanced than that right and i'm not sitting back saying that white people just have money that they just throwing around back and forth all willy-nilly but i'm not not saying that either i just think that it's just different it's genuinely different with founders that are black and brown in terms of how they're even getting their capital and the pressure of receiving that capital and what to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember, I've seen so many like, I've seen so many, um, I've seen threads, right, of people who are like, oh, okay, yeah, I got this money, I got this money from this friends and family round, and we wasted half of it because we we spent it the wrong way or we didn't realize what we were doing. And I was like, like even that I can't imagine, right? Like if like your uncle gives you fifteen bands. But when they give you that 15, when he gives you those 15 bands, he has the explicit expectation that you're going to know what to do with that 15 bands and give him his back. Plus yeah. whatever y'all plus agree some. on. Plus some. Plus exactly. some. Yeah. Right. So it's just it's just wild, man. So so let's talk a little bit more, though, about like the micro and macro aggressions of being a black founder. Right. Because you tweeted, you posted some other stuff. And I was like, oh, oh Toby be out and he be in these streets with me. That's <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Oh, Toby, yeah. Toby, be outside. Yeah. He outside yeah. with he outside with the hyenas. Like, so, <laughs> so, 
So let's talk a little. Let's talk a little bit about. Let's talk a little bit about like, um, the hustle and grind of that, right? So like, you know, what are some common micro and macroaggressions that you experience and just trying to like get a meeting and like spinning your wheels to like get in front of potential mm-hmm. investors? Like, what does that look like? And like, what are some common pitfalls and things you would recommend for <sighs> other black and brown founders to avoid? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. I've got a lot of thoughts on this one, man. I um, I would start this actually with kind of a. I, I, I did make a LinkedIn post about this recently, but I got a lot more to say on it. Like just a letter to investors, right? Yeah. Um, I think investors are in this interesting position where they are consistently getting messages, cold calls, texts, calls, whatever, intro requests from people asking them for money, right? And naturally, when that happens, you can't even blame them. But naturally, when that happens, you start to like feel yourself a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. You start to feel like you don't need to treat this specific founder, this specific founder in any way. I don't need to respect their time. I don't need to let them to give them an update. Nothing. I, I can just do what I want because at the end of the day, in ninety nine percent of cases, I, I if I ignore them for a year and then I come back and I'm like, hey, I'm ready to write a check, they're gonna take that check, right? Mm-hmm. And it's true. That's a very true thing. But I promise you, for these investors, it's it's going to for the for the one percent. I'll say this for the one percent of the founders that you actually do want to invest in, they will remember. I am in that one percent, and I will remember <laughs> everyone that was that was rude, that was on their phone during the meeting, that was uh, ten minutes late to the call and never hit me back, or just ghosted me entirely. I remember every single one of them. I, I literally have a list in my Notion page of everyone that ghosted me with a ghosted emoji. I'm not I'm not, I'm not playing, and I think. Again, it's natural, right, for you to feel that way. But you, you have to. F- investors need to understand that, like, they need us. It's not the other way around. Founders, as we've just talked about, founders can operate without VC money. You can build a. You don't need VC money at all. VCs have nothing to invest in if founders are not raising money. Fact. Keep that in mind, right? If the founders go away, the VCs die. It's not the other way around. Yeah. So that's one thing, just as, as kind of a, a lesson to investors. And I think that is the, the, the summary of it all. But in terms of pitfalls for founders that are going through it, one, you you have to remember that it's a journey. Like I, 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 I've never been, I remember, I, was, I, I will never forget this either. I was in Chicago. I was with my partner, my girlfriend for her, her birthday. We were visiting my sister and I had, it was a Friday afternoon. I had a VC call. I'm like 30 calls into the raise, bunch of no's. A bunch of like hard nose too, like not even, you know what I mean? Like there was one person that went into due diligence, but everybody else was like, nah, we'll pass. And I had this this call with these investors and I jumped on, I gave my pitch crickets. During the pitch, I can like not a single person actually looking at the screen, everybody looking this way, that way, very clearly texting, whatever. I'm like, are there any questions? They said, no, that's good. Jumped off the call, 30 minute call ended in 15. And I like, I, I have never been, this entire time I've been a founder, I've never been as low as I was that day. I was, yeah. I was, I was really like, I don't know. Maybe we got to find. I wasn't thinking we, I should t- quit Chessy, but I was like, we just got to find another way to make this money. <laughs> I, I got to maybe look into loans. I, I don't, I don't know. I got to do something else. And to, to to any founders raising out there, like you have to remember, like the way I would think about it realistically is like I would not start to be like really down or worried until you got to like seventy nos. It's got to be a lot. And even 70 low-key is kind of a, like a, a lower amount. We got to 87. Our 88th was a yes. Um, yeah. 
you just got to remember, like it is, it is truly, truly a marathon, right? And you will get better at pitching as time goes on. And I think, like, if I knew everything I knew about pitching now, it would not have been 80, 87 no's. It would have been 20, right? Like, I'm, I'm just better at it. But keep in mind that it is truly a marathon. You will get better over time. And you're going to hear – you're just going to hear hella no's. It's just, it's just going to happen, right? Yeah. Um, the last thing I'll say in terms of, like, more tactical advice here is, like, especially if you're early stage, which most black founders are. There are very few black founders that make it to the point where they're not early stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I, can, I said this before. This is from the founder of Banter. Her name is Christina um, Capacio. I'm not totally sure I'm pronouncing her last name right, but she told me that you have to pitch vision or traction, but not both. You can't mm-hmm. pitch both, right? And as you said, a lot of black founders were scrappy, we're hustlers, right? Like, we we're going to find a way to get some traction. And that's a mistake that we made. We were doing about 100K in ARR pre, pre, like, with just myself and my sister, right? Like, we were, it was just us, right? Product built in no code. No funding, no nothing. So we were like, oh, we got great traction. Like, this this raising thing is going to be easy. And that's what we went out and raised on it first was the traction. But VCs think big. They think about, like, what? how do you get from 100 to a million, right? And they mm-hmm. were looking at that path and they had questions about it. But then once I started to pitch on the vision, right, I understood that. And I started to pitch on the vision of ERGs as business resources. And I, taught, I told the story of Pixar. And I talked about, like, different applications for different companies using these groups and how our, company, our product can help you enable that. The conversation got way different, way different. And I got into deep diligence with multiple funds who, who I believe genuinely told me, look, I still think this is a little early, but please and keep me on your investor updates. Let me know if I can introduce you to other people. Like that's also a lesson. It's another conversation. This is a lesson on how to actually treat a founder, even if you're not investing. Right. But, um, I genuinely got people that were like seriously, seriously interested deep into, into due diligence. And then I got, we got our first, yes. Right. We got our first check. Um, so those are three things. One is a lesson to investors. Don't be a dick straight up. I don't know if I can just say that word yeah, on this podcast, but don't be a dick. Uh, as advice to founders, keep pushing, you know, Let's just keep pushing, push through the nose, try to get to the no as quickly as possible. This is probably another like kind of side lesson I put in there. Get to the no as yeah. quickly as possible. And then three pitch vision or traction for most of us. It's vision. It's gotta be vision. Pitch like yeah. how big this thing is that you're working on and what it could look like if you win. Yeah, you know, it's it's wild. Like, so two things I really like about so you're I can tell, and I'm gonna tell I'm gonna say this. I'm like I, I can tell based on the way your eyebrows are set, you're petty like me. I can tell. So like <laughs> <laughs> you're right. You're correct. So you're when correct. you and I thought that when we first met offline, off mic. But then when you said you had the list with the ghost emojis next to them and you keep track, I was like, oh, wait, that's my energy. So it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting, though, like, I think, like, the idea of the no, right? Like, getting to and through the no is actually a good thing. Like, as long as you're intentional about it, because you can learn. Like, you can learn from the no. You're still building your brand through the no. And then, you know, to your point, like, no one's going to say no forever. The yes is there. It's just behind some no's, right? And so counting the no's is cool, right? Like mm-hmm. tracking the no's is great, Like, but just keep going, right? Now, I'm coming from it from more of like a sales perspective because like we're, we've we had to we bootstrap we've had to bootstrap living corporate and we're so we're 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 profitable straight through our own revenue we didn't really i know let me say that but we did a kickstarter we did, we've done two kickstarters um but certainly weren't generating 
the numbers you're talking about, Toby. You yeah. big bands. Uh, no, so just talking about like I think total. I want to say like our total revenue through Kickstarter was like like twenty thousand dollars. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't okay. anything crazy. Yeah. Like it, we really did a Kickstarter not to fund anything, but just to get mark just for brand awareness, right? Yeah. Um, it was more of a it was more of a marketing campaign. But the point still remains of like, look, irrespective, like whether you're trying to generate, whether you're trying to get money through the revenue of selling and your product or services, or you're trying to get capital through a raise, like you can't, you can't get down on the nose. And Mm. as much as possible, you can't take every, you can't um, internalize the nose too long either. Right. Like. Now, people say it's not per- it's business is not personal. I don't really believe in that. I think that a lot of stuff do be personal out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do. A, I, and I also believe a lot of stuff be malicious. Like when you said that you was on a pre- presentation when you was and it was a 30 minute call and you said people was on their phone. See, I, like, how old were you when that happened? It was, that was 28. I think. Yeah, 28. Oh, no, nah, Toby, I would have said. Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Kathy, I see you on your phone like. I, hey, hey guys! I can tell this isn't really getting the engagement I'm looking for. What, 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 what would What's make up? you not? Yeah, what would make you not look? What would make you not look away from the computer right now? Because hey, you're right. I'll name like, but here's the thing: like everybody's different. But what I'm saying is, is like, you know, even if because at a certain point you like, I feel like you you've been in situations where you know you get on the call and five ten minutes in, you know it's a no. Yeah, you know it's dead. So you that's might as well. So you might as well go ahead and get what you can out of that dead conversation, yeah, that's, right? That's like there've been time. You know what I'm saying? Like I've been on calls, and I'll say like, okay, I'm trying to sell one of our experience management solutions or things of that nature, and um, I like to I like to force the no, like to like like I let like to ex- I want to accelerate the no, right? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the the thing about it is like when you ex- sometimes in your goal your effort to accelerate the no, you might actually get to a yes. Like it, like I've seen that happen too. But like the point is, is like, you know, it's just about continuing to push forward. So man, we talk about Chessy. We talk about it as a platform. Um, y'all have the, fun, y'all have funding. Y'all have, y'all have enough to keep on going. You have this long-term vision. You're continuing to grow. Do you do you see Chesy being in a place that it's it's self sustaining by next year? Absolutely, absolutely. If it, if it wasn't, I would be supremely disappointed. We were going yeah. for that this year, but you know, it's, it's twenty twenty three. <laughs> the recession yeah. is is well, whatever. The economy is happening, so um, no, nah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I I'm going to share with our team. I'd like to be there by the end of Q one. Yeah. That's aggressive. It's gonna it's gonna. A lot will decide on how we end out um, this year, yeah. but yeah, man, uh, absolutely, that's the goal. That's the goal. Like, uh, you know, I'm not against raising again. I think if the cards are right, if we're if we have the signs that we should, then I will. But I want to go into that raise profitable or like about to be profitable. Because at that point, I'm like, look, you can invest or you cannot. <laughs> Either way, I don't. I, I actually, I actively do not need your cash, bro. So like, if you want to give it to me, cool. If not. That's it's straight. Cool too. It's it's all good. Don't even worry about it. And I'm not I here th- for none of your BS. I'm not here for this long due diligence. <laughs> you got about two weeks, and I'm back to it. When I tell you, I had a conversation with somebody, and this is the fun, this is what I say about business, right? And and this is why I really do want black and brown founders. The whole point to me of like 
entrepreneurship, especially for black and brown people, is for you to be able to have the power to dictate your own terms. Now, terms is broad. Terms can mean a whole myriad of things. What I'm trying to what I'm saying is, though, it's like if your if your founder's journey is you continually have to like shuffle in front of VC um, for people to get VC money, then it's like, damn, like just go back and get a nine to five. Then like, like mm. what is, what does it look like to be able to be empowered to say, actually you can be a part of my journey or not. We're going this way. Yeah. Or, or you, but like, and I, I don't need you to go that mm-hmm. way. Right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I, I never forget, man, this was like earlier this year, big company, big, big brand. Um, I wanted to meet with the actual budget owner. They gonna give me the mid-level decision maker who don't really have no power. And they were like, well, look, you know, you know, we'd like to maybe build some relationship and maybe did something. Now this was this year now. I want you to mind what I'm about to tell you. Just keep in mind, he said this to me in this year. So mm-hmm. he says, you know, you know, we'd like to get something going maybe by 2025. We spend 2024 really doing like due diligence and relationship building. I said, Nah. And he said, what? Excuse me? I said, nah, I'm not. Nah. I said, nah, like, here's what I want to do. I got this info deck. I want you to take it. I want you to look at it. I want you to tell me what budget owners you can introduce me to. And if you were not at that place where you can do that, that's cool. But I got like, I got like 30 other accounts I'm trying to close in the next 60 days. So what's up? And he was so flabbergasted by me not like being so excited to having a brand association with this company and like waste time mm-hmm. that like we ended the like the call ended so awkward to him. It wasn't awkward mm-hmm. to me because I had to I, I had to put my girls to bed, so I, I had to go. But you know, let's talk. I think the last thing, and I'll, I'll let you go in the spirit of time. Let's talk a little bit about time management as a founder, right? Like, yeah. what are some of the like time sucks? time sucks and time pitfalls that are that you've seen or that are easy to kind of fall into mm, um i mean the way i think about time management is am i i need to spend my time doing things that i am actually the only person on the team that can do Right. And when I say the team, I mean our contractors, because we have a lot of those. We have an executive assistant. We have chat GBT. I put I put that thing on the team. You know what I mean? Like if if anybody else on the team can do this, with the exception of our engineers and, and my sister, like if, if, if any of our contractors can do this or it can be automated or whatever, I, I give it to that person. Right. So the things that I'm working on that I exclusively work on are product decisions. Right. No one else has a context talking to customers, right? I'm not letting anybody else do that. Um, and then there's some, admittedly, there's some like administrative stuff that I could probably hand over, but it just feels like I don't want to give our EA access to our payroll. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I'm, I'm going to take it 30 minutes a week and, and do this. Um, and that's how I think about it, man. It, it's 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 so easy, I think, to, to get into data entry or stuff like that because it's like tangible right like you can see it you can be done with it you can like feel good that you checked out the box on your to-do list and every now and then i'll I'll, like put things like that on my to-do list just so i can like kind of kick start my productivity but 
if you're spending a lot of your time on things that you could very easily outsource for 10 bucks an hour, <laughs> you got to drop it. That was, I, I can't remember where I got this from. Like, I think CEOs need to value their time at something crazy, like $500 an hour. I'm about to say crazy rate. I'm about to say yeah. a band, but you're right. Yeah. At least 500 yeah. Um, when you think about like some of the major, like when you think about big four consultants, their rate is anywhere from five to like 15, 2000, 100%, 100%, exactly. Right? You got to value your time at that level. And then once you, once you do that, you're like, damn, I'm about to do this data entry. It's going to take me two hours. That's a thousand dollars. There's something else I can be doing for this company. That's worth closer to a thousand dollars than this data entry that I could do for 20 by handing it over to our VCDBA. I'm surprised. I was, I was hoping that you talk a little bit also about the the time suck of even like entertaining certain potential quote unquote investors and like knowing when like some no. of those conversations are <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even consider that because I, I get those emails weekly. I don't respond. Yeah. I don't. Um if if someone hits because a lot of times you can tell like this is an automated email, first of all. Right. This is coming from your associate, second of all. I'm not, you know, if I want to talk to your to this fund, I'm not trying to talk to the associate anyway. I want to talk to the partner. So um, I like for those specific things, like cold sales emails, things like that, they're so far. You know what I mean? I see those and I just I trash them right away. I don't ever I ignore them right away. I don't even I don't even entertain them. Um, yeah. I have gotten pretty good about being like the only things I'm focused on now, like specifically for fundraising. When I believe when you're raising, you're raising. If you're not raising, you're not raising. It's just that simple, right? You don't need to have, let me just kind of check in conversations with people. You don't need to have like random, like somebody tried to get me to like pitch Chessie to him, like have a full pitch deck ready. I was like, no, we can have a, I can give you a conversation, right? And tell you like what we've done and done the last year. But you want me to update my pitch deck and give you like a full 10 minute thing? No, I'm not doing that. For what? No. For what? I haven't updated my pitch deck in a year for because I haven't needed to, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah man, uh, the things that I do on the day to day are, direct to the business impact level stuff yeah no i love that and I, 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 I was gonna say to that is when it comes to people when they ask me for like hey can you give us this and give us that i'm like hey here's like our standard about us deck like our, right. our about us page which is through uh quiller not an ad but like I, we like it because it's it's virtual we can like it can it, we can update it in time and you know i was like look i'm gonna send you that now, I want you to look at that. And if you have specific follow-up questions, yeah, follow right. questions, you want something that's going to, you want something more like fit to purpose for whatever your goal is. Cool. That sounds like we're trying to like move towards, towards like some type of engagement. I'm down to give my time for that, but I'm not going to just be putting together proposals or extra pitch decks. Right, right. That's right, crazy. Right. Cause right. what you watch, cause watch the game, Toby, what's this, what they're going to do. They're going to take that real nice proposal you took. They're going to give it to their homeboy and say, Hey, can you do this for me? That's what it's going to be. So you you end up doing a bunch of market research and strategy work for business you ain't even going to get. So yeah. it's like it's like look like have some things that are standard. And I, I love what you're saying about also like what can you outsource? What can you automate? What can you like? What are things you can do to like create filters so that the the bull doesn't get to you so fast? Like it might, yeah. it takes at least a couple of filters before you even get something for you to even consider you spending your time. Listen, uh, Toby, this has been a fire conversation. I feel like we could keep going for a while. I told you that I, I respect your time though. So uh, before, as I let you go, last thing for me, any like parting words or shout outs? I want to give a shout out to my co-founder and my sister, Dumebi. I feel like she has been uh, 
it was interesting when we started Chessie, I was definitely the one that was pushing it. I was the one even like, like I think, you know, at first she was not at all thinking about full time. And then I gradually saw her get more and more into it. And now she's just taking full on ownership of everything sales and marketing that we do and much more than that, even um, to the point where, you know, I've, I've kind of like, you know, you, <laughs> you know, it's all right. Take a step back. Why don't you take this afternoon off? Go, you know, have dinner. Go get a glass of wine or something like, you know, tone it down a little bit. So um, that's what I want to give a shout out to, man. I, I'm, you know, and extremely blessed to be able to build this business with her um, and looking forward to what's coming. I love it, man. Uh, look, the platform is Chessy. Um, ERGs are the future. Uh, employee experience is the future organizations that do not invest in their EX strategy and how it drives their go-to-market strategy are doomed to fail. So it is, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's more than critical that organizations invest in platforms and, and, uh, and tools that yeah. help to mobilize that. Like Chesley, this is not even an ad. It's off the mm-hmm. love, off the strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Toby, consider you a friend of the show. Look forward to talking to you soon, brother. I appreciate that, man. And we're back. Yo, thank you so much for listening to Living Corporate. You know where we at. We're everywhere you listen to podcasts. You know what I'm saying? We're literally everywhere you listen to podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Corporate, living-corporate, please say the dash.com or just Google Living Corporate. You know what I'm saying? At this point, SEO is pretty popping. You type in Living Corporate, we're going to pop up somewhere. Okay? Make sure you check us out. Links in the show notes. You learn more about us, learn what we're trying to do. Make sure you actually create a profile on living-corporate.com, okay? Make a profile on there so you can actually stay in tune and up to date with what we got going on. You make a profile, you select content that you're really interested in, and then we'll push content to you from our library so you can actually have a curated experience every time you go and log into Living Corporate. Ain't that dope, okay? Think about that. We got over a thousand podcasts and and different digital media and content that we've made over the years. And it's going to be all pushed and curated for you, baby, for you, dog, for you. All right. Till next time. I love you. Take care of yourself. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.